On a chilly November night, seven men had their lives changed here in the Sitgreaves National Forest near Heber. Riding in their truck, they saw what they believed to be an unidentified flying object hovering in this clearing. One of the seven, Travis Walton of Snowflake, leaped from the truck and ran up for a closer look. His companions say he was struck by a bluish light emitting from the craft and knocked down. Terrified, they fled, but later regained their composure and returned. When they did, Travis Walton was gone. From that point on, his story is pretty well known. The six men, his companions, all passed lie detector tests in reference to the incident. Travis Walton reappeared after several days with a bizarre story about a ride in an unidentified flying object. But it's been basically a second-hand story. Travis has been in hiding and has not met with the media. Consequently, there have been a lot of questions about the truthfulness of what Travis has had to say. But now, Travis Walton has decided to end that silence in this exclusive interview on this special edition of Face the State. Travis, uh, perhaps the best thing to do would be to, for the first time publicly, recount your story from the time you were driving in the truck and what happened. Well, the first part has been told by all the the witnesses that uh, recount my view of that. Um, we just finished working and because it was getting dark we uh, packed up to leave and uh, we uh, all got in the truck and we were riding up the road and uh, we looked off to the right side of the road and uh, I saw a glow that I thought was uh, a, a sunset or something. I was about to comment when we came past the thicket that we were looking through to where we could see more clearly, and uh, we saw a UFO hovering in the air about 30 yards off to the side of the road. Everybody started uh, yelling, and uh, they stopped the truck, and, I uh, I wanted to get a closer look, and uh, I got out of the truck, and I started over there. Everyone was yelling that I to come back and to stop. I stopped and looked back, and uh, some somebody called my name, and I turned back around and it started to, to make a noise and started to move. And I took one step. I, I crouched down behind the log that was there. And just as I started to raise up, I, w I was just going to stand up. I didn't have any intention of going any closer, but it was just as if I was struck. I It was kind of a, a physical blow to it just knocked me back. I don't remember seeing any flash of light or anything like what they described. I just, I just lost consciousness. Uh, when I regained consciousness, I was, I was looking up at a light shining down on me from the ceiling. I could, 
tell I was leaning up on a, on a bed or a table or something because the ceiling was close. I, I was in a lot of pain. I, I couldn't I couldn't quite bring myself totally awake. What, what type of pain? What parts of your body? Uh, it, it was kind of like in my head, but just all over it. I, don't, I can't describe it. And I, I believed that, that I was in the hospital, and I was I was looking up at the ceiling, and I I didn't make any attempt to move because of the pain I was in, but I I felt something laying across my chest, and I I looked down, and it was a it was sort of a a, a flat thing that kind of curved across like that, and my, I couldn't focus my eyes very well. But I I looked beyond the the, the, the top edge of the thing that was laying across me, and I saw two men le leaning over me. They were. They were. They weren't really men. They were a lot like. Uh, uh, they were a lot like men, but they weren't quite human. What did they physically look like? They were. Uh, they had kind of underdeveloped features and uh, no hair of any kind. And they were dressed in kind of a brownish orange. And how tall were they? They were slightly shorter than myself. What type of clothing was they dressed? It was sort of a loose cover-off. I, I didn't see any buttons or anything like that. But I, being in, in so much pain and everything, I, just, I didn't. I didn't even think. I just lashed out and uh, knocked them back. I could see that there was two on, on the right side and, and one on the left. I jumped into the corner. Did you actually strike them? Did you actually touch them when you lashed out? Yes, I did. I, I kind of hit these two with the back of my arm, and, and uh, they fell back real easily. Did you feel like hitting a, a person? Good. Yes. They seemed light, like they weren't heavy, but uh, I I couldn't stand up very well. I uh, um, leaned against, there was a bench across the back wall, I say the back wall, I mean, there was only one door, and I... He grabbed up uh, um, a tube, a clear piece of glass or something, and I, I tried to break off the end to get something sharp to, to defend myself with, but they didn't try to approach. They just kind of put out their hands like that, and uh, um, uh, I, I was leaning. I couldn't stand up very well. I was breathing very heavily. 
Um, they just, they didn't try to approach or, or anything. They just left. They just ran out real fast. And uh, I was alone there for several minutes, and I, I couldn't catch my breath. It was very hot. And I was afraid they'd come back. And so I, I left. They'd gone. There was a corridor outside, and they went to the right, and I went to the left. You went through the door? Yeah, there was no door. It was just a hole, a doorway. An open. And uh, I, it, it was a curving hallway that went, it curved to the right. There was another door with no doorway. It was just a hole. And uh, I went into a room there. And Had you gone very far, very far distance at that point? It was only about 30 feet or 40 feet. I don't know. Not very far. No, no, not even that far. I don't remember. It was a very narrow corridor, and it was dimly lit everywhere. And uh, I went into this room that you could see out. It was, it was, you could even see the stars back through the wall I just came through. It was, I could still see that, that there was walls, but I could see the stars at the same time. And it didn't look like windows? No, it wasn't like that. And there was nothing in the room but a chair with some controls and knobs and things. I just kind of, I was, I was hysterical, I was frantic and I, I, one just moved around there for a while, and I uh, started fooling with the the buttons there. Did you sit in the chair? Yeah, I did later. Uh, at first, I just touched it. And I didn't think I should be. I, th I was afraid I'd mess something up and that somebody would come. And uh, I heard somebody come in, and I turned around, and it was a man, just ex just just like people. I mean, he, he wasn't like the other uh, creatures or whatever at all. He he looked just like you and I, except he had a, a, a helmet on, a sort of a, a clear helmet. And he had hair and everything. Yes. Uh, I. I started babbling questions to him. I ran over there, and he wouldn't—he wouldn't answer me. He just took me by the arm and, and wanted me to go with him. I thought he maybe he can't hear me through the helmet. So we went out through the door, down to the right, and and out to the left. There was a there was a small room there. It had doors on it, and it was. It was kind of like an airlock thing. It was just a small room with, with nothing in it. And then there was a door that went outside. And um, it was a ramp that went down. And it was cool out, outside. It was, it, I could feel wind 
it was there was a draft or something it was a, a large room that this thing was uh, sitting on the floor and there and uh, it was it was shaped like like the the drawing that that uh, they made like the things saw the first time only only bigger and there was there was two other things in there the, uh, other UFO looking things that looked like flying saucers kind of except they were rounded uh, an oval shape and they're really shiny like uh, chrome it was a it was a big room like there was a lot more room in there and it was a there was a curved ceiling that curved this way and it had uh, flat ends to the room I came out of the the door uh, out of that first ship facing this way and there was a doorway across the, in, in the far wall he led me across there and, and through that doorway down a hallway to uh, a, a room in, and uh, there, there, I'd had a burning in my, in my chest and it was, it was starting I, I felt better. I I was trying to get this this man to tell me what what you know. I asked him if he was from Earth and just anything I could think of, and and he wouldn't answer. Was he expressionless? Did he have any expression? No, he looked friendly. He kind of he gestured and 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 smiled, but I, there was no words. In this place that you were in, could you see out at all? No, there was no way out there. So you were going from, actually from one ship to another, was that essentially it? Yeah. This must have been inside of a, of a larger building or ship. I, I don't know if it was a large ship or a building. There was no way. To, I never felt any motion or anything. It was just like being in a, in a, in a large building all the time. Everything solid. I was led down the hallway. The man sat me in a chair and in a room with three other people that were like himself. They were dressed in blue. And uh, uh, he went out. There was a door on the other side. And he went on through. And I sat in the chair and I tried to get the people to talk to me that were there and they didn't have things on their head and, and so I thought that maybe they could hear me but they, they wouldn't answer either. There was uh, two men and a woman in the room after the first man left. A man and a woman came from around the table and they each took me by the arm and led me over to the table and uh, got me up on the table and I don't know why I should cooperate with them. Uh, they they put a a deal over my face. It was kind of like an oxygen mask thing. It was kind of clear plastic, and it had a, a round black thing on it about that big, just attached to it. And I looked up at the ceiling, which was just it was all solid light. There wasn't any light fixture or anything. The light in the room just came from the ceiling. And that was last I remembered. I, I went to sleep until 
I woke up. I was laying on the pavement. It was very cold. I woke up very suddenly, and I was. I looked up up the roadway. I was laying outside. It, it was night, and I could see a light on the bottom of a of a flying saucer that looked just like uh, the rounded ones that were inside there. And uh, it, it was very shiny, but it, the only light came out of the bottom. But then that went off, and it just went straight up really fast, just without a sound. And what were your feelings at that point? Were you still in pain? Did you know where you were? I didn't know where I was immediately, but I recognized the roadway, and I could see a light down the hills when I ran down that way. And uh, it was about a mile, or a half a mile to Heber, and uh, I ran down to the phone booth that is by the gas station there. And I called my brother-in-law and I don't know what I said. I was, I was hysterical. And He answered and said, who is this? And I tried to tell him, and he said, I think you got the wrong number, and he started to hang up, and I screamed at him that, you know, it was me, and, and so he he stopped, and he, he said, okay, I'll get somebody to, to, to come and get you. And I hung up, and I just couldn't stand up anymore, and I just sat down there. Were you in physical pain? No, not not at the time. I I didn't feel any more pain. I just was so weak I couldn't stand up. I was extremely thirsty. And I didn't I haven't been able to make any purpose out of that or anything, but that's the way it happened. We'll be joined by Jim Lorenzen of Aerial Phenomena Research Organization after these messages. We've been joined now by Jim Lorenzen, who is the director of APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research, Research Organization. Jim, uh, before we get to you, I, I think there's one question that uh, I would like to pose to Travis, and it's a question that's been bothering a lot of people. And Travis, why did you why didn't you bring your story to the media? Well, they, my family, uh, um, told me about the, the news people and all the people that were crowding around, and I was just in no condition to to talk to anybody, especially you know a mob of people like that. I, just, I couldn't just couldn't handle it. Is that typical, Jim, in, in cases? Uh, it is in some cases, yes. I can, I can vouch for what he said because uh, when I saw, first saw Travis, he was in a very unsettled state. And uh, uh, he was really in no position to pin questions or, or to respond. 
You have listened to the description that he gave us of his ordeal. What are your comments, your reactions in comparison with past cases? Well, I was uh, struck by the fact that he described uh, these beings that didn't look quite human. He described them precisely the way another uh, person has described them who had a similar experience. Now, this case has not been published anywhere, and no case like it that I know of has been published. So it's something that Travis could not have read anywhere. And this, the descriptions are identical. There was some apparent uh, conflict between different organizations, UFO organizations, over Travis's story. Uh, why are you defending it, and why did the others seemingly discount it? Well, some people get concerned about their image, and uh, they get—they don't realize that this subject has many facets to it that that can be, um, well, embarrassing in the sense that public acceptance is lacking. The stories seem to the uninitiated pretty wild. I think of the fact that we, our organization, has now going on 24 years experience made us able to cope with this uh, in a much more uh, uh, sane and realistic manner than people without that kind of experience. Could you tell us what kind of testing that uh, Travis has undergone, what the results were of that, and, and what the plans are for the future? Well, I can do this generally. Uh, we had him checked by uh, a couple of MDs, and they, they ran some tests. I don't have all the results, but I can say this, that... Uh, that, that there was uh, urine analysis done on the, uh, the first urine sample after his incident, and this completely does away with the idea that there was any drug involvement that some people brought up. Uh, that and the blood samples really straighten that out. There's, there's none of that involved. Uh, and uh, he's been um, uh, interviewed at great, in great depth by some very well-respected uh, uh, psychiatrists. And they have concluded that he is not a party to any hoax and uh, that he's telling the truth. Now, when we call in witnesses, I mean calling experts like this to interview witnesses, of course we call them in because we feel they're qualified to make those judgments. And uh, I have no trouble accepting those judgments at all particularly, as I mentioned, since parts of his story really correspond with cases that we know of already. Was this under regressive hypnosis? Now, re regressive hypnosis has been performed by still another man. In fact, it's performed by Dr. Jim Harder of uh, Berkeley, University of California at Berkeley. Uh, he's our research director, and he is a, real, a specialist in this sort of work and uh, has been involved in quite a few other cases. Uh, under... Um, the regressive hypnosis, he relived the thing just essentially as you saw here, probably with a little more detail. What other kind of tests would he be going through in the future? Well, you see, um, we're really sort of past the testing stage in a sense. In other words, uh, from now on, I think you'd, more, you'd be more likely to call it research. We uh, hope to um, have this memory, the block memory, relieved so that we can get a full account of what happened. Um, this, uh, this may take time, and uh, there may be a program delay that we just have to wait for. It'll just depend on how, uh, 
how he feels as time goes by. Why not the polygraph test? This has been a major criticism. All right. Because uh, a lot of people have criticized it because they think polygraph is a lie detector, because it's called that. But it's not. And Travis was under that impression, too. He was anxious to take a uh, lie detector or polygraph test. Uh, I advised him not to, and several other people advised him not to, because what it actually measures is stress. And questions about stressful memories would bring stress reactions just as well as anything else. So it would have been meaningless to uh, have him take that test at the time. It could have, have been, in fact, uh, w one of the psychiatrists said it would have been a disaster for him to take it at the time. It would have created a lot of false impressions. How would you explain the, the other six witnesses taking a test and, and having passed it then? Well, their, uh, their memories, of course, are not blocked. Uh, they remember what happened. It wasn't the same sort of stressful situation that Travis has obviously gone through. Travis, uh, what would you like for your future? What would you like to have come of this? Just uh, acceptance of myself in the future. I uh, have had a lot of offers that, of people trying to turn it into some kind of a profitable thing, but I have no interest in any of those kind of offers. I just want the truth to be known. Uh, I might... Uh, well, I have intentions to cooperate with um, research with uh, reputable men that are, you know, genuinely, scientifically interested, uh, like uh, the men with APRO. And uh, but as far as any kind of a uh, big, you know, project like that, I yeah, I think we've talked about this to some, and Travis doesn't want to make a big deal out of it. He just wants to quietly find out what went on in that period, if it's possible, if it'll help advance the, uh, the state of knowledge on this uh, subject. Do you wish it had never happened to you? Well, hindsight, I don't know. What happened, happened. <laughs>